We are going to begin a series today, uh, and, and we'll probably take some Sundays off for special days, but uh, this will not be, I can guarantee you, by God's grace, this will not be as long as our Jeremiah series, because the book of Jeremiah is a whole lot longer than the book of Philippians. And, uh, but I'm, I'm looking forward to this, and today we're just going to look at verse 1, and today we're going to talk about names, because in verse 1, there are... Uh, I think eight different names. Uh, verse one is there's 24 words. This is in the English now. There's 24 words in verse one, and eight of them are separate uh, names. Names are very important, and so they kind of introduce us to some of the key players or places uh, or people uh, in in this epistle, and that's what Philippians is. Philippians is an epistle or a letter. That's all an epistle is. It's just a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of believers that um, about 10 or 11 years prior to this letter being written uh, was, was when the events of Acts chapter 16, verses 12 through 40 took place. On Paul's second missionary journey, came from Troas, came into this city called Philippi, and uh, what he did everywhere he went. If there was not a synagogue, on the first Sabbath day, he'd immediately go in and, and start preaching the gospel uh, at the synagogue. If there wasn't a synagogue, he would go wherever believers were meeting, uh, wherever Jews were meeting, or and, and, and he preached the gospel. And that's what he did here. And from that, people got saved. Uh, Lydia uh, got saved and, and was one of the key leaders in the church. Uh, and her, her character, her godly, you know, person seemed to exemplify the the whole church in Philippi. By the way, Philippi was the very first city that Paul preached the gospel in the continent of Europe. Uh, and, and it's just a wonderful place. These, these people were very dear to Paul, and, and they, he considered them friends. And, and there's so many good things. You know, with some churches, like the churches in Galatia, the church in Corinth, they had a lot of problems. And so some of, you know, in those epistles, Paul's addressing some of those problems. But in Philippi, uh, it's just, th- th- these were precious people, um, and it's, there's really no rebuke in there, just encouragement, edification. And uh, so we're going to, just today, we're going to focus on names that are found in verse 1, and primarily uh, the, the, the word Philippians, Philippi. Uh, we're going to look at that name because that is the city where the church started and where these believers uh, come from. They identified as Philippians, much like you and I would identify as maybe Pennsylvanians. You know, in that sense, William Penn. You know, if you identify as being from Pennsylvania, uh, William Penn had something to do with that. I'm, I'm from Lansdowne, and, and that Lord Lansdowne was a guy that lived in England, uh, you know, Upper Darby. I forgot to look up Darby. Um, but you know, we all we all identify with uh, with different names. Names are important, and uh, and sometimes sometimes people think that names are even more important than they are. As we're going to see in this city of Philippi, and who it was named after. Uh, but it's interesting because in this epistle, Paul talks about names specifically. One name that is going to be lifted up above all names, and that's Jesus Christ. 
In fact, of the eight names that are listed in verse 1, four of them all refer to Jesus Christ. Two times. Jesus Christ and Christ Jesus. That's four of the eight names that are listed in this. And that, that's what Paul would do. He would lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And you know what? That's what God wants us to do in our lives. He wants us to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. So let's bow in prayer and then we're going to jump in. Father, thank you for getting Josh here safely. And uh, thank you for, um, we trust, uh, I think the, the last word I heard was that Tala Allah has gone home from the hospital or was going home from the hospital. Just pray that you'd be with him in a very special way. And then, Father, as we talk about some other people and some other places today, uh, begin this, this study in this epistle. I pray, Father, that our lives would reflect the life of this godia, uh, godly Lydia, godly woman Lydia, and um, her character, her zeal for you, her service, and that our lives would reflect the message of this epistle that Paul wrote and help us today to understand uh, some things about this city and uh, understand the nature of mankind is to exalt himself. And we see that, Lord, just in, in the names that we're talking about, uh, that you do not want men to be magnified other than the one man, Jesus Christ. So help us to do that, that he would be magnified in our midst. And we'll thank you. We pray in, for your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, look at verse 1, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, let's just take a few minutes and look at some names. Paul used to be, in fact, his birth name, his Hebrew name was Saul. Uh, probably he was named after King Saul. Many think, uh, it doesn't say in the scriptures, but it's pretty likely. Uh, and then, um, but then his, uh, his name uh, for Roman's sake um, was Paul, which means um, little, which is interesting. You think about it. You know, Paul, Saul became Paul, and he saw himself as the least of the saints. So it says Paul and Timotheus. Say, who's Timotheus? That is actually the Latinized version of the Greek word for Timothy. So in English, it's just Timothy. Uh, but when the King James translators were translating, Latin was very big, very important and significant at that time. Uh, it's not now. Uh, but the Latinized form, really, uh, Timotheus is really a compound Greek word. Uh, Timo uh, and then Theos, which literally means um, one who honors God. And that's exactly what Timothy did. Uh, and they, he identifies himself as servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints. And uh, now when I, where I grew up, saints were only special people. Charlie was talking about, you know, or uh, John, John mentioned the idea of pastors. And Charlie, very humbly as a pastor, said that, you know, pastors are just common folk. We're, we're, you know, men are not to be elevated. Uh, and where I grew up, if you were a saint, you know, only a few people got that signification. And it was really no honor. It wasn't an honor while you were alive because you didn't become a saint until after you died. And then you had to go through the process of canonization. But in the Bible, if you are a born-again believer, you are a saint. And that word literally means holy. And, um, 
and that's pretty amazing. And that's how we use the term today. Uh, still in use today. If you're a Christian, you are a saint. If you want to go around calling one another, you know, Saint Jim and Saint John and Saint Thea, and, and you know, you can do that. It's legitimate, hundred percent legitimate. So the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops, that's an overseer, and the deacons, these were leaders in the early church, two offices, pastor or bishop, pastor, bishop, elder, are, are interchangeable in the New Testament, refer to the same office or offices, and then deacons. But we want to specifically zero in on uh, the location of who this letter is written to, to the saints which are at Philippi. Let me give the outline, uh, and then we're just going to jump right in. We're going to look at three things today. Number one, about Philippi. Number one, we're going to look at the origin of Philippi. Where'd that name come from? Because it would become immortalized in the Word of God. This, This city, which is now a bunch of ruins, would go down in history by their name. In fact, it is one of the, it is the, uh, from according to one source, it is the key archaeological place in Greece, Philippi, the ruins of Philippi. But more importantly than that, it has been immortalized through the scriptures. Philippi, Philippians. It's, it's part of the word of God. God has honored this city because of what happened in about 51 A.D. when Paul went into that city with the gospel. So we're going to look at the origin of Philippi, uh, and it, it, it basically is some guy that really thought pretty highly of himself, named a city after himself, you know? And then, um, and then we're going to look at the origin of the church at Philippi. So we see a man exalted, and then the origin of the church, we see the gospel exalted, and then we see the origin of the letter of Philippians, and then we see a Savior exalted. So we see a man exalted, the gospel exalted, and then the Savior exalted. So look at, look at um, if I go to Acts chapter 16 now, where our scripture reading, Acts chapter 16, for the next few weeks, maybe a few months, probably a few months, uh, most of the time we're going to be looking at um, Philippians, the epistle, and then occasionally going back to Acts 16, 12 through 40 for some historical reference of this city. So let's begin with Acts 16, now in verse 12. Again, this is the very first time the gospel was brought to Europe during Paul's second missionary journey. Acts 16 and verse 12. And from thence, by the way, this is Troas, uh, the Macedonian call, where Paul in a vision saw someone calling him to come to Macedonia. And, uh, and, that, and so they were in Troas, and so they left by ship, um, and then they came to Philippi. And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. So let's talk about this place. From thence to Philippi. By the way, if you, if you do a Google search or in your Bible uh, encyclopedia or a concordance and you type in Philippi, you're going to get, depending on what source you look at it, you're going to get every reference to the book of Philippians because the word Philippi is in the word Philippians. So that's like 104. You know, you remove those references, and you basically have the word, this city Philippi, mentioned five times. Now, two of them are in the Gospels. 
And, and they're not the one we're talking about. There are two Philippi's. There was Caesarea Philippi, which, by the way, Caesarea Philippi uh, was also named after uh, King or Herod Philip, who was um, his son. I want to get this right because we got a bunch of people exalting themselves. And um, well, let's talk about this city first. Uh, Philip of Macedon, Philip II, who was the father of another guy that thought pretty highly of himself, Alexander the Great. Very, you know, these are people that were very powerful in history, thought very highly of themselves. They were very wealthy, and one of the ways that they would magnify themselves would be to name cities after themselves, or just call themselves the Great, Alexander the Great. And um, so Philip II of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great, uh, many years ago, about 300 uh, plus years before Christ, he went into an old town called Crenides, which literally means fountains or springs, because it was there were underground springs and it was it was the perfect agricultural land, very fertile, and so they named it uh, Crenides or fountains or springs because that's what it was known for. Now, fast forward to about uh, 42 B.C., and you, uh, while Emperor Augustus, uh, pretty soon then that place was renamed by Philip II of Macedon. He named it after himself, Philippi. Um, you know, again, that's what people did. They would name places after themselves. And by that time, you know, right, right before the time of Christ, they were now known as a great gold, they had gold mines. Uh, and so more recent history, since it became Philippi, they became known with amazing gold mines. Now by the time that Paul came and preached the gospel, uh, it's, it's speculated that the gold mines were beginning to become empty and it wasn't known for that anymore. But if you look again at, at Acts chapter 16 and verse 12, from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city. Uh, let's talk about that, because Philippi was the chief city, and the word chief, uh, the word that's used in the Greek, the King James translators most of the time would use the word first, prote. Uh, it is a, another, lots of translations will use the word a leading city, because when you say chief city, it was not one of the capitals of there were four major Roman provinces in Macedonia. They were like, they all belonged to Rome. Everything was part of Rome. Rome was in charge. And of those four districts, each one had a capital. One of them was Thessalonica, by the way. But Philippi was not one of them. So a lot of people, in fact, a lot of skeptics have said, see that? This says it's a chief capital city. And it wasn't even a chief capital city. And that's not what Paul was saying. It was a a primary, it was a, you know, a, a, a leading city in that, probably, it was along the, the Romans were famous for Roman roads. The Apian Way, the Ignatian Way, in fact, the Ignatian Way was the main Roman road that led um, from out of Jerusalem, to, uh, or out of Rome, to Asia. And that was, it was right along that main thoroughfare, the Ignatian Way, where Philippi was, and where, where Paul's coming from, Troas, it was the first major city going into that area. And so that's why they believe, that's why it's believed that Paul says the, the first or the chief city 
of Macedonia and a colony. So let's look at this word colony, because colonies aren't what we look at when we think of America and the colonists, you know, the British coming over and establishing colonies. A colony in Bible times had everything to do with Rome, and it was basically, uh, these are all like mini Romes. You know, every city that Rome would set up would be a colony. And, And for example, in Philippi, it was basically retired military people that were sent out from Rome and they were like um, little mini Romes. All of them, Rome was the mother city. And all of them were little, you know, daughter cities. And Philippi was that way. And so there was great military. They, their allegiance was to Rome. And so that's the idea. It was a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. So we got this city that was named, you know, a couple hundred years before this by a very wealthy, powerful man who wanted to name a city after himself, and so he called it Philippi. His name was Philip again. Again, um, not to be confused with uh, Caesarea Philippi, which was Herod Philip, who was the son of Philip the Great. It's interesting. got all these people calling themselves Philip the Great, Alexander the Great. And if they're not, they're either relatives. These people all thought so highly of themselves that they would name lands and cities after themselves. And you know, this, this, uh, this Philip here that named himself, named this city after him, he would become famous. Well, not really him, but his name. And it would really have nothing to do with him. It would have everything to do with Jesus Christ and the gospel. So it is along the uh, a major Roman thoroughfare, and uh, their main language in Philippi was Latin, the, because it was a mother or a daughter city of Rome. Uh, they used all Roman coins, and um, you know. A, in fact, I mentioned today that today the city what was Philippi is not far from the city of Cavala in Macedonia, and it is one of the most uh, important archaeological sites in Greece, the ancient city of Philippi, uh, since 2016, has been put on the UNESCO World Heritage List. And you can see videos of, uh, you know, it's so neat to see someone walking through these ruins, these Greek ruins of this ancient city. And no, this is where Paul preached. There's a big amphitheater, or what's left of it, you know, big theater with the seating, and you can... And, and you see the cities and pillars, and it's, it's fascinating to realize this, is, this literal place is where the Apostle Paul came and preached the gospel, where Lydia got saved. The Philippian jailer got converted. So many neat things. I, I, you know, I've never been out of America other than I, I went to Liberia, and I didn't see any ruins. I went to Grenada. They had some old stuff there. Went to Guatemala. They might have had some... Mayan ruins maybe, but I would love to go and see like Greece and some of these ancient ruins. It would just be so fascinating. But I want you to turn real quickly to Philippians, or excuse me, Psalm 49. Because as I'm studying this city and all these people, the two cities really, Caesarea Philippi and then uh, you know Philippi of Macedonia and how they were both named after people 
And these people came from families that thought very highly of themselves and magnified themselves. And I say, I saw it so typical for men to want the glory. And I kept having this passage come to my mind. Psalm 49. In fact, let's, uh, if you haven't turned there, I want you to go there. It's, it's an amazing psalm. Psalm 49. And beginning in, first, who's he talking to? Verse 6. Psalm 49, verse 6. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches. That's what he's talking about. And then in verse 10, or he said, verse 9, their inner thought is that, they, that he should live forever and not see corruption. Verse 10, for he seeth that wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person, and leave their wealth to others. In other words, you have these people that are so rich and so rich in this world, and they magnify themselves. And look at verse 11. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Wow. That's what I kept thinking of. You got Herod Philip. You got, you got King Philip. These guys are so full of themselves. That, you know, here's Crinides, whatever city. He's like, I think I want, this, this city is so, you know, plush. It's an agricultural dream. It's a beautiful city. I want to name this city after myself, Philippi. And, and it was designated Philippi. And, and folks, Philippi, if it were not for the fact that the gospel went into that city, it would just be a bunch of ruins today and it would not be on our tongues. Now we quote, I don't know, you have any verses memorized from Philippians? Oh, I know Philippians 4.13 or 4.19. There's so many famous verses that we'll be getting to. Uh, But that would become an important name. Had nothing to do with King Philip. Sorry, King Philip. But isn't that just like man? Their inward thought. Again, I I love this verse. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. By the way, this is not a first. In Numbers 32, verse 42, and in Deuteronomy 3.14, it lists other cities where people name those cities after themselves. So this has been a common thing. Man has a tendency to magnify himself. But folks, it's not all about us. I, I remember hearing this phrase one time it you and i we are not the central figure in the redemption story that that's huge because we we tend to think that the world revolves around us you know but we are not the central figures in the redemption story i remember the story uh the the event of the ninth president of the United States. Anyone know who the ninth president of the United States is? Any of you history buffs? All right, I'm going to... Go ahead, Ethan. Who? Uh, no, but, but probably close. Garrett. No, but, but good, you guys are trying. And you did Google it, so, and you know, because in two seconds, someone's going to say the right one. 
the ninth president of the United States was William Harrison, but here's why you didn't know him. That's right, Mike's like, it was on the tip of my tongue. Uh, you know, why did you not know him? Well, he was also uh, the, the shortest, you know, not shortest in stature, but his, short, you know, his, his presidency did not last long. And uh, he, he is also goes on record as having the longest inaugural speech ever. It was nearly 9,000 words long. In fact, when he was writing it up, his um, staff tried, they begged him to make it shorter. But he insisted that this, my, my inaugural speech is going to be pretty important. And so he gave it all. And so for two hours, he stood in the rain on a very cold day. He read all 9,000 words. To this day, the longest inaugural speech for over two hours. And, um, well, the days that followed, President Harrison caught pneumonia and he died exactly a month later. So on April 4th, 1841. And it, it could be well said, someone said, it could be said, that no president has ever said more and done less. <laughs> Poor guy. So, um, but you know what? Jesus Christ stood on the cross for six hours. And he said 44 to 45 words in English, that is. So about 45 words originally, who knows how many. But um, in those six hours, nobody said more. And nobody did more than Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 12 again, Acts 16, 12. I think you're still there. So we saw the origin of Philippi. Just another man strutting his stuff, puffing out his chest, wanting to be important. Then we see the origin of the church at Philippi. Verse 12, And from thence to Philippi, which is this chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. So let's real quickly give you the summary of how this church started. It, again, it was Paul's second missionary journey that, um, that around 49 or um, 51, 49 to 51 A.D., he was on his second missionary journey. He saw a vision from Troas. And uh, so he was accompanied by Silas, Tim, uh, from Silas, Timothy, and Luke were all men that joined him during that time. And he first preached, that's the first time he preached the gospel in Europe. Now, here, here was the thing. Normally, when Paul would go into a city like Thessalonica, Berea, so many of the different cities, first thing he would do is he would go into the synagogue and on the first Sabbath day and many after, he would preach the gospel from their scriptures in the synagogue. But in order for there to be a synagogue in that day, you had to have 10 Jewish men or the, the, the Jews would not establish a synagogue. So apparently in Thessalonica or in Philippi, they didn't have enough men. They had some godly women, some godly, God-fearing Jews, one of them being Lydia. And so apparently they met on the Sabbath along this main river, and they worshipped God. So Paul went there and preached the gospel. And the very first European convert was Lydia. She is known as a seller of purple, which meant that she was in the clothing industry. Uh, she might have been self-employed. She might have been a representative to a bigger company, uh, but you know, when you were, if you were a seller of purple, that was a very expensive clothing 
because of the dye that was used and all, you know, royalty and all would use that. So she had a very prosperous job and the Lord opened her heart and she got saved and her household. Then uh, a young woman with a spirit of divination, uh, she would prophesy, she would be a fortune teller. And because of her abilities that were supernaturally given, but not from God, uh, she made her, whoever her handlers were, made big money off of her. And she would, in fact, she would follow around Paul uh, for many days. And um, she would, let me see if I have it written down what she would shout here. In fact, let's, all right, are you in Acts 16? Look at it, it's right in there where, in that beginning of verse 12, Acts 16, where she would follow him around and she would, she would say, shout out. First person that reads it, Acts 16, what she would say. Verse, what is it? All right, thank you, Thea. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this she did many days. And you think, well, that's great. She's, you know, she's going around advertising. But notice Paul's response in verse 18. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit. This was not a, you know, a, her professing. This was some spirit. I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And everything changed after that. Because now, she wasn't glorifying some evil spirit, spirit of divination. And so she lost her powers because she got saved. And that was the best thing that could ever happen to her. But not according to the people that were making big bucks off of her. And so they were furious. And they ended up driving uh, or bringing Paul and, and his, his group before the magistrates. And it's really interesting. So we'll probably go back here a little bit, but um, they didn't realize apparently that Paul was a Roman citizen and they beat him, which is a big no-no if you're a Roman citizen. And Paul, maybe he tried to tell them initially, but he ended up using that to his advantage, uh, which, you know, got the Philippian jailer and other, you know, other people were in, in trouble with that. So anyway, they put him in jail. Paul, Silas, praising God at night, and the Philippian jailer gets saved. And it's a whole awesome story about that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's really interesting that uh, the gospel was preached and men were affected. Uh, again, Lydia got saved. Philippian jailer got saved. But um, this, this young lady got saved. And it ended up hurting a bunch of men who were wealthy well-to-do, uh, and, and so the gospel, being exalted, the gospel didn't thrill their hearts. The gospel made them furious. How sad it is. Many of you have heard of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a, a very common folk, uneducated man that loved God with all his heart. And he went around and preached, and God used him mightily to, uh, to see souls saved. And uh, R.A. Torrey, who was another uh, minister of God, shared a story that um, when D.L. Moody came to Connecticut, New Haven, Connecticut, uh, 
1878. Uh, he was, uh, Moody was preaching to the students of um, New Haven University. And one of the scholars that was there was this man that was just a man of renown. And his name was uh, Theodore Dwight Wolseley. He was actually the president of New Haven. He used to be, he was the former president of Yale University for many years. Uh, He went to Princeton Theological Seminary when it actually was a Bible seminary preaching the gospel. And this was a great man of God, but also a, a brilliant man that was so esteemed intellectually. And he was sitting there, this, the story that R.A. Torrey would tell was that there was a young man that came to hear D.L. Moody preach. And up there on the platform was Dr. Woolsey, who was gray-haired and elderly. And when they were opening the service, there was Dr. Woolsey singing. They were singing the old hymns of the faith, and he was singing his heart out. And that more than the fact that D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, was there, or anything else. That young man was so amazed, he couldn't get his eyes off of Dr. Woolsey, singing with all his heart. And he thought, wow, this guy, this man that is so esteemed by others, this intellectual giant, is singing his heart out to hymns, the songs to Jesus. And because of that, he gave extra attention. He ended up getting saved. Maybe not so much from the preaching of Moody, definitely the gospel, but because of one man who wasn't so full of himself, but he was full of praise to the Savior. You know, God wants to use us to glorify Him. Final point, the origin of the letter. So I mentioned Paul goes into Philippi, and then about 11 years later, he is now under house arrest, And all this is in the book of Acts. Towards the end of the book of Acts, he now writes this letter to the believers at Philippi while under house arrest. And he writes to them, and he's he's going to basically be talking about Jesus Christ. He's mentioned twice in the first verse. I want you to close by turning to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to get to this eventually as we go verse by verse. But this is one of the highlights, one of the theme verses. It really is, it finds its way woven in the fabric of the letter, the epistle to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, Wherefore God also highly, or hath highly exalted him. Who's that? Jesus Christ. And given him a name. We're talking about names today. Given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, someday, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's going to be a great day. Unfortunately, some of those knees and some of those tongues did not bow or confess. And so now they will be in humble submission and it'll be too late. How sad it is. How many people magnify themselves? Some people don't even realize they're magnifying themselves when folks, 
the only person worthy of all glory and honor and glory is Jesus Christ because of what he, who He was and what He did on Calvary. I want to close with an illustration that I've used several times. It's got to be one of my favorite illustrations. Being with my upbringing, uh, it is so hard to get through a religious mind that um, that is 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 bent on works, works. It's it's up to us. Listen to some of these verses before I share this story. Ephesians chapter two verses eight and nine. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast. Romans eleven six. If by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. It's either one or the other. You can't say, I'm saved by, and many people will do this, I'm saved by faith alone, and then they work their way. They're, they're, I sure hope I'm good enough. The two contradict. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. And it, and it goes on. So here's, here's the story that I love. And I tried to find this message. It was a sermon or a, a lesson someone gave years ago, and I couldn't find the exact message. So everything about this story is what I remember, <laughs> uh, which means that whatever the... Whatever the so there's this, this amateur artist that apparently was, was kind of a pretty good painter. And he would, you know, one of the things he did, he would paint pictures. And you know how they have these things at local malls and craft stores where you can kind of get, just come and peddle your wares? Well, they were having like a craft show or something, and so he brought a bunch of his paintings to see what he could do to sell them. And there was one painting. A young couple came by and were fixated on one painting of his. They just were, it was wonderful. So I'm, I'm going to use some figures that I'm sure are wrong, but I want to just give the idea. So let's say, for example, he was asking $250. Again, I don't remember. And they only had like $125. But man, that the, the, the husband, they, this was a newlywed family. They just got married. They were just setting up their house. And when they first saw that picture, she's like, that would go perfect in our living room. And, and oh, their heart was, both of them loved it. And the man, you know, he scraped together, and all he had was like $125. And he was so devastated that he couldn't pay for it. In fact, as, as the day prolonged, several times they came by his, his display area just to marvel at that picture. And during that time, they would talk to this amateur artist and kind of strike up a friendship. And towards the end of the day, this man was so touched by this couple's friendliness and as they came by one last time before he was packing up, he said to them, I want to give you this picture as a gift, as a wedding gift. And they were so touched. And the husband was so overwhelmed that he reached into his pocket and he got out the money and he said, here, here take this at least $125. And that artist, that, that painter looked and looked at the man, looked back at the money, took out his calculator, which it probably the prices are wrong, or he could have figured this out, and he said, okay, um, he said, you owe me, and then he named the difference. And it really confused this husband. He said, wait a minute, weren't you just giving this to me? 
And the man said, yeah, I was. And that's the point. You're giving me something back means that you're not accepting it as a gift. Ah. The man took the money, put it in his pocket, and received the gift graciously as a gift. I love that. Because there's so many precious people trying to earn their way to heaven by their good works. And maybe they would humbly say, you know, all right, the, the, the cost is a million dollars and my, my works are only going to be like five dollars. But you're not getting the point. It is a gift, which means you have to accept it as a gift. There's nothing you can give, whether it's your religious deeds, your baptism, your religious ordinances, your good merits. There's nothing that you can do to earn the gift of eternal life. You have to receive it as a gift or not receive it at all. That's the point. So many precious people so sincerely are trying when all they need to do is come empty-handed and not give God anything. You're not asking God, God, accept the sacrifice that I'm offering to you. You are receiving the sacrifice with no strings attached. You're getting the gift, and he's saving your soul. And it costs you nothing. It cost him the precious blood of his son. Have you received the gift of eternal life as a free gift? God's not an Indian giver. If you said, yeah, I did that when I was younger, you don't understand. God's not an Indian giver. If you receive the gift, you understand it. You got saved. You trusted in Jesus Christ. You don't need to keep receiving it. It's a one-time thing, a once-for-all sacrifice. I hope that you have received the gift of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your gift of eternal life that we could never merit, no matter how good we could be, no matter how how much righteousness we could pile up. It is all filthy rags. The only righteousness that you will accept has nothing to do with us, but has everything to do with what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. Help us to come empty-handed by faith, believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we'll thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.